Thank you for tuning in to our podcast, Salt and Light, where we'll cover foundational principles for being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Enjoy this episode with ears to hear and hearts that listen. So let's go check the facts with your host, also known as my dad, Casey Harrison. Welcome back to another episode of Salt and Light Ministries where we correct genetically altered Christianity and we replace it with a firm foundation for a relationship with God, empowering disciples to disciple. This is the 513 Project. Now, in the past few weeks, we've been going through the book of Matthew. Last week, we started Matthew 1.6. This week, we're going to finish Matthew 1.6. So let's review the scripture before we dive right in. And Jesse, the father of David the king, and David was the father of Solomon, by the wife of Uriah. Last week when we talked about Matthew 1-6, we talked about Jesse. And we found that if you look through the perspective of your wealth, then there's a good chance you're going to miss the king and you're going to miss God's anointing. This week, we're actually going to focus in on two other names mentioned here, David and Uriah. First, let's look at David. David was the second king of Israel. Scripture calls David a man after God's own heart. And if you look close enough at David, he's probably what we would call today a man's man. Reading through scripture, you see mentally, he's pretty bold. He's fearless. He's courageous. I don't know what he was like physically. Scripture really doesn't give him much of a definition. But I don't think he was anything like the rock. In fact, I believe it was the exact opposite. Have you read the story of David and Goliath in 1 Samuel 17, 33-35? David was anointed to become the next king of Israel to replace King Saul. So David wasn't the king yet. He still had a lot of growth to go through, physically and spiritually. He had a lot to learn. But here in 1 Samuel 17, Jesse instructs David to take lunch to his brothers that are on the front lines with King Saul and his armies. King Saul's armies were fighting the Philistines. And when David shows up, he sees this giant taunting God's people. This kind of gets under David's skin. David starts to get angry. And then David gets even more angry because no one's calling out this giant for disrespecting the Israelites. That's when David goes over to King Saul, the very person he's supposed to replace one day, and David tells the king that he wants to fight the giant. Check out 1 Samuel 17, 33-35. And Saul said to David, You're not able to go up against this Philistine and fight him, for you are but a youth, and he's been a man of war since his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose again, I caught him by the beard and struck him down and killed him. And if that wasn't a bold enough statement, David takes it another step further. 1 Samuel 17, 36. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. Now don't get it twisted. David's not being prideful in his abilities. David takes pride in the Lord's abilities. Because David knows that it was always the Lord who delivered him out of any form of negative circumstance. From the lions and from the bears. David knows that wasn't him. And David also knows that he was just anointed to be the next king of Israel, which means he's going to survive this fight because God's got a plan for him in the future. 
And David trusted that God was going to deliver him. You see that in 1 Samuel 17, 37. Because David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. David was a man that had a relationship with God. This is a man that knows God, not just knows about God. This is a man that has God's anointing on his life. David has God's favor, and David was human. No matter how much favor of God you have on your life, you still have a weakness. David's not an exception. He had a weakness. You see, when David became king, he got to a point of complacency. And during this complacency, instead of going to battle with his armies like he always did, he chose to take a day off. Yeah, they can handle it. I need some me time. I think I'm just going to stay home and take care of myself. I need some self-care. I hate that phrase. You see, David got his eyes off of his calling and onto himself. Anytime you get your eyes off the calling God gave you, you fall victim to your weakness. David found this out the hard way. Remember Bathsheba? Check out 2 Samuel. In the spring of the year, the time where the kings went out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all of Israel. And they ravaged the Amorites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. As scripture reflects in this verse, David chose to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. And while he was there, David saw something he was never meant to see. And that was Bathsheba taking a bath on her rooftop. You see, I've heard sermons that actually put the blame on Bathsheba for bathing on a roof. It's pretty ignorant. And I say it's ignorant because David was never supposed to be there in the first place. So there's no way that Bathsheba could have known that David would have seen her. I ain't saying, I'm just saying. What this does give credence to is wherever your eyes look, your mind wanders. And David's mind wandered because David made a choice that was birthed out of his desires. He sent for Bathsheba to come to him. Now, seeing as David was the king, Bathsheba couldn't refuse him. Remember, she's a woman. She doesn't have any rights. Yes, she was married to Uriah. But David was the king of Uriah. Ultimately, everything that Uriah owned, David owned. That included Bathsheba. So it's safe to say, Bathsheba never had a choice. So when King David made the request for her to sleep with him, she had to. That's the kind of ability David had. But just because he had the ability doesn't excuse his actions. He used his ability and he slept with Bathsheba. And then she got pregnant. But instead of David taking the high road, you know, doing the honest, honorable thing, owning up to his mistake, David chose to take the road that many of us have taken in our lives. Tried to hide it. And the way that he tried to hide it is he called Uriah back from the battlefield under false pretenses. David acted like he was trying to honor Uriah just hoping that he would go home and sleep with his wife. What David didn't expect was Uriah had more respect for his brothers that were off at war, but he didn't feel right going home to his wife while his brothers were still out in the battlefield. But that didn't stop David from trying to get Uriah drunk and getting Uriah to go home again. 
Uriah still refused. He was too honorable. Now, what's David supposed to do? Well, he switched tactics. Instead of trying to get Uriah to go and sleep with his wife, and then making it look like Uriah is the one that got Bathsheba pregnant, David sends Uriah back to the battlefield with a letter telling the generals to put Uriah on the front lines. Now, if you wanted somebody dead, the front lines was the place to put them. This would effectively get Uriah killed, but still keep David's hands clean. That way, David could legally marry Bathsheba, and then it looks like she never got knocked up before they got married. In fact, that would have made people look at David in a more graceful light. Here's a king that's taking care of a widow. Sounds like the perfect plan. Unfortunately, there are more David-like Christians in the church today than there are Christ-like Christians in the church today. What do I mean by that? Christians today have a tendency to plan out every aspect of their life to make themselves look the best, instead of proclaiming what Jesus said and letting the cards fall where they fall. Because being a Christ-like Christian means that someone is going to get offended. Someone is going to get their feelings hurt. Someone's going to feel left out. Someone is going to run into that brick wall of conviction that the Holy Spirit puts up and then be forced into a choice. And if we're all being honest, none of us like to be forced into a choice. So in an effort to be inclusive and to make everybody feel better and encourage everyone, that's why we have David-like Christians today instead of Christ-like Christians today. And I'm using the term Christian very loosely. I'm using it in the same way that Christians have been using it for centuries now. Not in the way Christ intended. Okay, moving on. That's a different sermon. David made his plan. It seems like the perfect plan. And he executed it with pristine precision. Uriah gets killed. David takes Bathsheba to be his wife. And David thinks no one's the wiser. He thinks that he got away with sleeping with a married man's wife and got away with murder. There's only one hiccup to this whole plan of David's. One thing that he didn't account for. And that was the perspective of the King of Kings. The perspective of Jesus Christ himself. Yes, Jesus was around during all of this. Not on earth, but he was in heaven. John 1, 1-3 clears all that up. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. Sounds like a tongue twister. And another time I'll come back and preach a message on how this is actually talking about Jesus Christ himself. But as for now, this scripture is telling us that Jesus was around before creation, which would imply that he's seen everything that's been going on on this earth before he ever took on a physical body. Therefore, Jesus knew what David was planning. He saw what David executed. He watched it happen. Because another ability of God's, I'm not sure if you know this, is he's all-knowing. We talked about that in the Foundation series. That's what David didn't take into account when he made the plan to kill Uriah. He didn't plan on God taking notice. Notice. <laughs> I was actually listening to my old youth pastor. He's now the pastor of Christ Chapel in Zebulon, Georgia. So I want to give honor to where honor's due. A lot of the material that I'm going to be using here is very similar to what he said. But there's a difference between looking, seeing, and noticing. Take your eye, for example. Your eye is always taking in information. 
It takes in the information of what's in front of you, what's slightly off-center from you, what's in your peripheral vision. It takes all of that information in, and that's called looking. Then your eye can focus in on a specific target while still taking in all that other information. But when it focuses, that's called seeing. Now I'm seeing clearly what I'm focused on. But when your brain retains the information that you're looking and focusing on, that's called noticing. God noticed. Need more examples? All right, men, listen up. I don't care if you have a girlfriend or a wife. If your woman goes and gets her hair done, comes home and says, hey, honey, and you look at her and you say, hey, how was your day? Hope you're... And you look at her and say, hey, then you turn around and sit on the couch and you didn't notice the changes in her hair. You're going to be in some hot water. And you're in hot water because you didn't notice. You didn't take in that information and keep the conversation going. Hey, I love your hair. What did you do to it? It looks different. Ladies, did you know that it's possible for you to harm a man's motivation to wash the dishes and do the laundry? And the way that that happens is if your man washes the dishes or does the laundry without you asking and you don't take notice and make it known that you took notice, that's what hurts our motivation to want to keep doing it. Now, on a side note, let me talk to all the husbands out there. You do realize that your wife is like a diesel engine, right? A diesel engine, you've got to keep plugged into power to keep the engine warm. Otherwise, you're going to have a hard time starting that thing up. Your wife is the same way. And those little things that you do are the power to that diesel engine keeping it warm. You're going to have far more success getting it started later on if you keep her warm. And it's not just something you can do once a week. All heat dissipates at midnight. It's something you have to do on a continuous basis. And all the women said, Amen. Just something to keep in the front of your mind, boys. Okay, that's something I need to keep in front of my mind as well. I'm not excluding myself. I'm in the boat with you. Let's get back. God didn't see what David did. God noticed what David did. 2 Samuel 12, 1-7. And I might paraphrase this a little bit to make it easier to read. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said, There are two men in a certain city. One rich man, another poor. Now the rich man has very many flocks and herds. But the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb. One that he had bought. And he brought it home and it grew up. It grew up with him and with his children. It used to eat from the poor man's table. It used to drink from the poor man's cup. It used to lie in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now later on a traveler came into the city and stayed at the rich man's house. But the rich man was unwilling to take one of his own flock to prepare a meal for the guest. So instead, he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the traveler. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against this man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man that did this deserves to die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold, just because he did this thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you are that man. Talk about a gut punch. I can only imagine what David was feeling in that moment. He just got caught. God sent his prophet Nathan 
to call out David for something that David thought he had gotten away with. That's intense. God noticed. But as I was reading this, just because God noticed didn't explain why God put Uriah into the origin story of Jesus Christ. But then God laid it on my heart to give to somebody that's listening today. Many people today have been hurt by the church, whether it be the organization or the people. I mean, you got saved and went to church, and somebody that was supposed to be a man of God or a woman of God took advantage of you. They took advantage of their position and effectively walked all over you when they were called to serve you. They did you wrong. You got hurt. I mean, wounded deeply. I think the term for it is church hurt. It left a bad taste in your mouth and gave the idea of being a Christian a bad name. Today, God's telling you, He noticed. God didn't just see what happened to you. He noticed. Is your anger justified? Yes. Is your rage justified? Absolutely. And God noticed. Think about it. David was a man after God's own heart and he screwed up. What makes you think that any other preacher, teacher, or quote-unquote Christian out there isn't going to do the same? We're all human, you and me. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all got the sin nature that we start with. We all have to go through sanctification. Basically, we're all flawed because of our flesh. Now, does that excuse what happened to you? No! And it's still important for you to understand that God noticed. And God wants to take action as long as you let Him. As long as you don't get in His way. What do you mean, get in God's way? It's simple. It's an issue that runs deep in all of us. Because I fully believe everyone at some level, when we get hurt, we want to make it right. We want to be the ones that take back what was taken from us. We want revenge. And God says, if you're my kid, you don't have that right anymore. Not if you're truly in the family. God says, if you're my child, I'll handle it. In the same way, if someone ever comes against my daughter, my wife, or my son, they're in my family. You guys stand back. I'll handle it. That's my job. I'm father. Here, I am El Shaddad. You're in the family of God. He's El Shaddai. God says, I want to handle it. Beloved, talking about you and me if you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. God says He wants you to show grace. God says, you show grace, I'll handle the ugly stuff. I'll handle repaying them for what they did to you. And I'll handle restoring you. God's not a respecter of persons. If He did it for Uriah, He's going to do it for His kid. Did you realize that Uriah isn't in the bloodline of Jesus Christ? But he's still in the origin story. Remember that question, why did God put Uriah in the origin story of Jesus Christ? Because God noticed what happened to Uriah. And God repaid David for the wrong that he did to Uriah. But God said that's not enough. 
God says, I'm going to give the credit for Solomon to Uriah. Effectively inserting Uriah into the honor of being in the bloodline of Jesus Christ. Uriah's seed wasn't given for Solomon. His life was. That's how God eternally honored Uriah. Remember when David was talking to Nathan and said that the rich man will restore the poor man fourfold? God said, that's not enough for Uriah. I'm going to restore him with eternity. The same way that Jesus died on the cross, right? Jesus said, taking back the keys of death, hell, and the grave, that's not enough. I'm going to restore you for eternity. And that's what he did. So no matter what anyone has ever done to you, please stop taking matters into your own hands. Especially if you think that no one noticed what happened. You know what? No one on earth may have noticed. But God did. He does. And He always will. Do you even know what the name Uriah means? I've been talking about him for the past 10 minutes at least. And I never gave you the meaning of his name. Uriah means light of Jehovah. Jehovah is the most holiest of God's names. Jehovah is equal to Yahweh. Now the reason we see Jehovah here in the scriptures is because the Jewish scholars wouldn't write down the name Yahweh. They believed it to be too holy and they didn't want to use it in the wrong context. They didn't want God's wrath to fall on them. So instead of writing Yahweh in the scriptures, the scholars wrote Jehovah effectively making God's formal name Jehovah, which in turn gives the meaning of the name Uriah a little bit of a different connotation as well. God's formal light. The most powerful light there is. Think of the implications of that. This is the kind of light that casts out all darkness. In the story, it exposed the deeds of what David did and then illuminated the position that God gave Uriah in the origin story of Christ, all at the same time. That's power. So let me ask you a question. Do you have that kind of power? The appropriate answer here is no. You don't have any power without the help of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. So if you don't have that kind of power, and God, the one who does, says, I'll handle things, why don't we let him handle it? Could it be you don't have strong enough faith in him to allow him to take care of it? Could it be that you really don't understand who you are through Christ? Could it be that you don't feel worthy enough to accept all that comes with being in the family of God? Instead, you want to continue believing the lie that you have to prove yourself. I'm not worthy, so I have to prove myself to God. Stop thinking so highly of yourself. There's nothing you can do to prove your worth to God. Trust me. You and me, we're both in the same place before we got saved. You want to know what that place was called? Worthless. Worthless. Yet, Jesus still wanted our worthless selves. And he died on a cross for it. It's only through Jesus that we have any worth at all through his actions. So please, stop trying to take credit for something that's already been done. You don't have the authority to take credit for that. 
You have the ability to try and take credit for that, but you don't have the ability to succeed. Only Christ has the ability and authority to qualify you. One of my favorite sayings, I even turned it into a t-shirt. Get your butt out of your own situation and let God insert his butt into your situation. His butt's bigger and better. Stop saying, but I can't, but I'm not worth it, but I'm unqualified, but I... No, but God can. But God called. But God qualified. Get your butt out of God's way. So let's bring all this together real quick. No matter what a quote-unquote man of God has done to injure you in the past, God noticed. And if you allow Him to, He will restore you. Press down, shaking together. In fact, He'll fill your cup till it's overflowing. If you'll just get your butt out of the way and let Him handle it. Ultimately, that's going to build a closer relationship between you and God because it strengthens your faith and trust in Him. And what's the only way to please God? Faith. Faith is the only way to please God. So I'm going to give you some homework this week because I know that the Holy Spirit has been bringing up situations to your mind. He's been bringing up situations to mine. And you know what situations I'm talking about. The ones where you want to get the revenge for it. You want to get your anger out. You want to take back what was taken from you. Your homework is to go back and reflect on those situations. And take those memories, take those situations, take that pain, and give it to God. Take it to Him in prayer. And when you do, ask Him to help you trust Him. Let God meet you where you're at. Stop pretending. If you don't trust Him, tell Him. God, I can't trust you with this pain. I don't feel like I can trust you with this hurt. He's big enough. He can take it. But when you tell Him that you don't trust Him with it, ask Him to help you to trust Him. Ask Him to help you trust Him more. Lean on Him. That's exactly what He tells us to do is lean on Him. I can almost guarantee you, I don't know if it'll be the same day, the same week, the same month, but those thoughts of revenge about that situation are going to continuously come back into your brain because that's the devil's favorite trick. And when it does, stop whatever you're doing, look up to God, and say, you've got mental mail. It got addressed to the wrong sender. I've already given this to you. I want to give it to you again. Here you go. God's willing to take it over and over again. Keep giving those thoughts back to Him. 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all of your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Thank you for listening this week, and I hope you come back next week as we jump into Matthew chapter 1 verse 7. Until then, be bold, be strong, and be blessed.